When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hello everybody, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much and congratulations on getting through an entire summer without Premier League football. I know it's been tough. But we're almost there. I think it was the great John Bruin who said a couple of weeks ago, only 16 days until nobody remembers what happened in pre-season. And we're just a couple of days away now. So hello and welcome to the second captain's Premier League night with Cadbury. As you lot know, tickets for this event were extremely hard to come by. I don't want to exaggerate things here, Murph and Ken, but... Please do on. Yeah, I will. This lot sitting here in front of us tonight... Uh, I guess you could describe it as a vicious, bloody battle to the death yeah. that they endured no, you're right there on these yeah. tickets. I think the only way to prove and provide a small bit of comfort to the people listening who missed out tonight is to prove the tickets went to a deserving crowd. So I'm going to need everybody here to be on their A-game. Is everybody excited about the start of the new Premier League season? That's a big cheer, folks! <laughs> Somebody didn't hit the applause button. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. Half decent side. The people listening, by the way, are already thinking, what, yeah. the, what schmucks got the tickets tonight? <laughs> I didn't realise how excited You're not schmucks. I... He didn't call you schmucks. He would never do that. I didn't realise how excited I was myself until I found myself, Ken, watching the Sky Sports build-up this morning and spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of time watching David Luiz, your favourite footballer, going into more detail than I thought was possible into how he takes free kicks. It was extraordinary stuff. Yes, David, it does look a bit like a table tennis shot with topspin on it. Heading into the top corner, I have no idea what he was talking about. But it sounds like an amazing piece of television. No, it's great, yeah, yeah. The key to his technique, apparently, is lifting his knee. Well, go on. Well, lifting his knee as he strikes the ball. Apparently, that's what makes it dip in a strange way. So as he hits the ball, this is great for the people listening. So yeah. as he kicks into the ball low, he lifts his knee up as vertically as he can. Right. And that creates a sort of spinning effect, so which... Usually takes it wide, but sometimes takes it into, into the, the top corner there. Screen against the mat, yeah. What is it about of the time it works every time on? What is it about David Luiz that you love so much? Well, it's not just me. Uh, I mean, we were talking the other day about the um, his his incredible popularity in fantasy football. He's the most popular defender in fantasy football, <laughs> which is really amazing. I mean, it's usually it's usually a fullback who, who scores goals or creates assists, but it's actually David Luiz this year. And I think that's one of the incredibly exciting things about the Premier League. The fact that David Luiz is the best defender in it. 
It does suggest a lot well. of excitement, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's what I'm looking forward to. A big thanks to our sponsors, Cadbury, who are now official partners to the Premier League. Bloody did great mention, chocolate brand, though. Great chocolate brand. Always said it. We did mention that Murph will be dressing as a full-size Cadbury Freddo tonight, but come on, we can't make complete ages out of ourselves just for a sponsor like that, no, can no. we? I'm not going to do that. I do like Ken Hill's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Hill says about football. Oh, that's a real football men do, Ken. Someday. <laughs> Someday. What a lineup we have for you tonight. Shay Gibbon, Niall Quinn, Jason McIntyre, and Robbie Fowler waiting inside. <laughs> Shay Gibbon, of course. Shay is currently looking for a club to prolong his incredible career with, but if you've heard him doing any punditry work in the last couple of years, you'll know he already has a bright future, I think, in the media game. I thought he was particularly good on Sky Sports News last year. Well, let's get more now on Jack Botland's injury. Uh, we're joined on the line by his Stoke City teammate, Shay Given, tonight. Shay, thanks so much for, for coming on this evening. Happy Easter to you. But just how, how big a blow is this for uh, Jack? Uh, it's an absolutely massive blow for Jack, but it's an opportunity for myself as well. But I'd like to wish him all the best with his injury. And uh, let, let's see what the future brings. Okay, Shay. Um... Thanks very much for joining us on the line tonight. Uh, we will uh, we'll speak to you again soon. I love the fact that the presenter is about to ask a follow-up question and then thinks, no, 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 no it's better off. definitely let's, is not Shea Given. Let's see I mean, what the future brings. Yeah, I mean, he could have... I mean, think of all the things that gentleman could have said there. And the best thing he could come up with is, let's see what the future brings. Have uh, most people had a chance to listen to Richie's player's chair with Mick McCarthy yet today? <laughs> Quite a few, Okay. Poor Richie. Poor, poor Richie. Poor, He's a broken man. Richie. Three goals it took him to successfully record an interview with one person, Mick McCarthy. <laughs> Two attempts were made at Ipswich's pre-season training camp in Carton House. Both failed miserably. Mick gave Richie a third shot at it yeah, just before his team, just after his team had been beaten 6-1 in their final pre-season game over in Ipswich. Being the nice guy that he is, he gave Richie his third shot and finally Richie had the wherewithal to press the record button. <laughs> and get the job it, done. It's a lot more complicated You're than in that, studio. okay? <laughs> there are batteries as well. I mean, it's a whole... It's a whole production. Well, myself and you, myself and yourself didn't even have the balls to go into studio with Richie yesterday, or today, I mm. should say. It was so, so stressful. Ken, you were in there with him. How was the atmosphere? Yeah, I was in there with him. I, I was, I've been there in that, that place before, failing to, thinking you've recorded an interview with a high-profile person, in my case, Roy Keane, and arriving back to work with nothing. Uh, so, yeah, no, he... he uh, He's got over it. I mean, there was a lot of time. He spent a lot of time with the dog. He spent a lot of time asking, practicing on the dog. Yeah. Practicing yeah. the interview there on was the dog. A, a, <laughs> a, a Patreon member actually asked us uh, on the website if we were willing to release the practice in- interviews that he had recorded the night before with Bobby, but we decided in the interest to. No, we don't need to hear that. Will we get him out here and share his pain a little bit? Yeah. I think we should. Go easy on him now, folks. It's X5 Sad. I know I need small vacation but it don't look like rain and if it's no how are you Richie? no but how are you Richie? I'm better now than I was over the last few weeks not everybody has heard I think the majority of people have you might have to explain for those who haven't heard what happened the first two times um, 
The shortened version is I, I, I sat down with Mick McCarthy in the first week of July on a Thursday afternoon and had a great 40 minute chat with him. Returned back to the lads um, and realised I hadn't recorded a feckin' thing. <laughs> it, it stopped after about 90 seconds and. They were great though, the first 90 seconds. <laughs> Pity they'll never be heard. And then ama- amazingly, Mick agreed to do it again the following day, so I went back out and. Something slightly different happened, but the same outcome. I returned back to the office without a recording. Uh, the, the card was full, the memory card had filled, which meant absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> um, I like the way you sort of half blamed the production Memory that, card. <laughs> Who's ever heard of one of those? <laughs> it's very the technical mumbo-jumbo again. Well, like, w- without getting into too much, the, on, on the first day, I, I held a microphone which had several buttons, so the best that the lads could come up with was, I, said, I think, Richie, you may have hit a button by mistake while you were holding it. So on day two, let's put it in the middle of the room, hit the buttons, when the red lights come on, press hold, and don't fucking go near it again, and it'll record fine. So I did that, and I looked after five or ten minutes, and red light was still on, I thought, I'm laughing. And then just as I was saying goodbye, you noticed the red light was off with these card full written on it. And I was, I was distraught. Like, I went back to the office and actually, you had to then immediately record a podcast, didn't you? Yeah, you basically messed up our day, Richie, yeah. but yeah. that was the least of it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, apologies for that. Back on the fags and you had to cancel the first date. So it was emotional turmoil, unfortunately. It was a tough, it was a tough day to be me. But Mick agreed then. I, I was going over to England last week to visit my sister uh, in Brighton. Rang Mick a week earlier, and he said he'd do it. So we did it. Then, after recording, you had to face Kenny Cunningham, all riled up last night. But that's a conversation for another day, I think. I can see by Richie's uh, the look in his eyes. We wanted to make you feel like you're not alone, Richie, so we decided to give away the final pair of tickets to tonight's show on Twitter today by asking our listeners for their own biggest screw-ups in light of the Mick McCarthy nightmare that you suffered. The winner is Noel Davis. I don't know if Noel has arrived. He should be here. Uh, Hello, Noel. Hi, Noel. Noel writes, hi, Hi, second captains. One summer, many years ago, I was busily applying for teaching jobs. There was one job I really had my eye on. One day, at around 3 p.m., I realized, to my horror, that the application had to be in the next day. I busily prepared the application as best I could and ran down to the post office. The lady at the desk spotted that I was anxious and out of breath. I explained my situation, and she helpfully suggested that I send it by registered post, therefore guaranteeing that it would, be get, that it would get there by the next day. Touch a genius there. Yeah, good post. call. A calm came over me as I handed over the envelope. I walked out of the post office with a smug grin on my face. I'm going to get that job, I thought to myself. The next day, I woke early to the sound of my doorbell. It was the postman. He wanted me, he wanted me to sign for a registered letter. <laughs> I signed and took the envelope. It was from Noel Davis. It was from myself. I sent the registered application to myself. I didn't get the job. Thanks very much from oh. Noel. There's a round of applause, please, for Noel. First up on stage tonight, can you please welcome three men with a combined total of 278 Republic of Ireland caps, not to mention their vast experience of Premier League football. One of them even played in something called the old First Division. Anyone? I don't remember it either. Can you please welcome Jason McAteer, Shay Given, and Niall Quinn. <laughs> absolute legends of Irish football here, no doubt taking their seats, but only one of you has received the ultimate honour, guys. It's not Shea Given with his 134 international caps, or even Jason McAteer, score of one of the most iconic goals in Irish football history. I'm talking, of course, about the mighty Quinn, who was immortalised earlier this year in the form of this wonderful bronze bust. (laughs) 
uncanny. Oh, unbelievable. So you probably know the backstory. This is supposed to look like Cristiano Ronaldo, but as the sculptor responsible for this abomination, Emmanuel Santos said at the time, it's not as simple as it seems to create such a work of art. Apparently not, Emmanuel. Do you agree that it looks like yourself, Matt? Um, listen, I'm very flattered that people come up to me and say, I saw your statue in the airport, you know, that's cool, I'll take it, you know. Um, what do we think? Does it look like Niall Quinn? <laughs> I'm sure you're all feeling for Richie here after his mess up with the Mick McCarthy interview. You all know Mick pretty well. Is he the nicest man in football? He certainly seems to be to allow Richie to have a third go at it, Jason. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Yeah, I like Mick. I like Mick. Uh, it, yeah, we batted on the same team, didn't we, in Saipan? Yeah, we, we both share something in common. We're into it already, eh? <laughs> no, I don't mean like that. Uh, we both share, share, uh, share the same... Uh, feelings towards somebody, so I would always bat on their <laughs> mixed teams, to be honest. No, he's, not, he's a nice fella, Mick. I like Mick. Niall, tell us, we're not going to see you on Sky Sports this year. Uh, yes, I'm sure you're probably happy about that. I don't know, Owen, but uh, yeah, no, I just made a, a life choice. was walking the dogs on the beach down in uh, Waterville and Kerry. My August and September dates came in, and I just went, i got to ring these, and I can't just keep travelling. I, I did 120 flights last year. Great crack, but I'm 50 now, and I think I've... Uh, earned the right to be able to go to Croke Park on Sundays and do different things. So it's, uh, I had three years left in my contract. They actually surprised me how quickly they said, yeah, that's okay, Niall, you know. <laughs> I was a little, a little bit shocked. But, um, you know, that's the way it goes. And uh, just glad. Once the missus was happy that I, I, was, I was doing that, that was fine. So she's I'm got sure. to change her life now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, this is the dream job, Niall. You're talking about football on TV. Oh, well... I love football, I love watching it, but it was, you know, the fact that Sky wants you there the night before, so you fly over a day early, and sometimes I can't make a flight after the game and I get back the day after. Then I spend a day and a half here preparing to go over again for the same thing midweek. And uh, as good as Sky are, a great group of people to work with, you know, I just thought, I've, I've done it to 50 now. I've, my wife thinks I have this thing, every six years I want to do something different, and I, I joined Arsenal, left after six years, She's joined right. City. <laughs> Left after six years, Sunderland left after six years, went to Sky for six years, went back to Sunderland for six years, and then I did another six years, so it's time to uh, find something so else. Do you, know what, do you know what that's going to be yet? I've got a proper job. My mother's delighted. At 50, I got my first proper job. Um, I'm, so I'm starting to work for a new tech startup company, and uh, I'm dreading it in some ways, but I'm looking forward to it. Another is Monday, 9 to 5, and uh, as I say, the, the bonus is I have weekends to myself for the first time since I was 16. Shay, tell us, you could have your weekends off at the moment, but you're not retiring. Rumours of your retirement are greatly exaggerated. You are looking for another club. Well, we're doing some radio stuff this morning. And Jason retired me twice on the radio, and <laughs> he never told me about it beforehand. But uh, no, I, I love to play in our season, of course. But I know I have to stop at some point. I'm 41 there, just past in April. And uh, what are you laughing at? Uh, no, I feel like I'd play in our year. I feel fit, and my body feels good. So hopefully, get an our year. If not, then I'll have to. Um, Hang up the gloves, as you say. How does it work, though? Is, do you have an agent contacting clubs? Do you wait for someone to pick up the phone to you? Yeah, I have an agent. Yeah, I have an agent working for me. He's quite confident. He said the longer the window goes on, uh, the more chance you ever get in the club, which I find... <laughs> I can't get my head around that, but uh, I think he's just talking rubbish, as they normally do, agents. But uh, no, it's the first time in the last 25 years of my life that I've not had a pre-season and not had a club. You know, the season starts, as you said, at the weekend, so... I'm looking forward to that, of course, but it's a bit weird not to be, not to be involved. There'd obviously be a pride thing as well. You've played for some of the biggest clubs in England, so I'm sure you'll get offers, but I suppose it's what you, you're willing to accept. For yeah, yeah, it is a little bit. And obviously, you've got family, you've got 
10 week old baby and 18 month old they've got a lot of stuff going on at home as well so it has to be right for the family of course but at the same time uh, I've been doing a little bit of training in Macclesfield which is on my doorstep Macclesfield Town obviously which is a non-league but they're still pretty professional where they train every day and stuff but I, I even enjoy getting training with the lads at Macclesfield you know just having the banter and I'm going to miss that we, we spoke about it all day we've been together all day us three characters and uh you know, they've talked about the transition, you know, when you finish playing, how hard that's going to be. And I know it's going to be difficult, but I do feel like I could go another season and hopefully I don't have to talk like Jason for, for a while yet. Hey, yeah, we'll talk to Jason now. Best of luck with the, the hunt for a new club. Jason, you've been spending a bit of time at Liverpool during this preseason around the club. You were in China, so you've got a kind of close-up look at what's happening there. Yeah, I went to, uh, went to Hong Kong. I was quite honoured, to be honest. Um, obviously, the official ambassadors are Robbie. Uh, Ian Rush, Kenny Dalglish and Gary McAllister and everyone else must have been on holiday so they asked me <laughs> so, um, so yeah I went to Hong Kong um, had a really good time over there and then uh, I was over here at the weekend um, commercially obviously the, the club are obviously trying to get new partners on board so, um, so that's what we do What's your sense on what's going to happen with the star man Coutinho? If you'd have asked me well if you'd have asked me three weeks ago I would have said Liverpool are in a really good position. You know, Mo Salah had signed. We would almost signed Van Dijk. The Kaita deal was off, but, you know, with Lalana being fit, no sign of Coutinho moving anywhere, I would have said Liverpool would have pushed, you know, for the Premier League title. But, obviously, over the last two weeks, we've seen Neymar move, which is triggered now. Coutinho coming into the equation of maybe going, going to Barcelona. Look, everyone's got, a, everyone's got a price. Every footballer's got a price. And, uh, and I'm sure Liverpool have got an idea of what they want. If Barcelona come up with the, with the money, I'm sure it'll be taken out of the manager's hands and, and the board will then take over and decide whether it's a good business deal or not. And like I said, if the price is met, then he'll probably go. But if they don't meet the price, hopefully we could keep him. You think it would be taken out of club signs? I mean, he'd he look like a complete idiot if that happened. He'd look like a fool. What I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not used to this accent at all. No. This is a Dublin accent. Jurgen Klopp has, has, has stated very clearly Philippe Coutinho is not for sale. And so if they sell him, Klopp will look like an idiot. I wouldn't be surprised if he resigned over something like that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be honest, he has said, you know, it's up to the board. It's the board's decision, whatever happens. He's kind of distanced himself from, from the deal. Um, like I said, he, the, the board will have a price. If it's met, then obviously they'll all be in talks. And if it is, then he'll move on. And Liverpool will have to look elsewhere to bring someone in. But at the minute, he's a Liverpool player. Klopp is, is saying he's going nowhere. But he has to say that. He's not going to turn out and go, we're going to sell him. You know, well, they want I, to keep I don't him. understand how, how, how it can work where they've been trying to sign uh, Virgil van Dijk. They, they try to sign van Dijk. Southampton say no. They, they say, we're really sorry. They have to gro uh, grovelling apology to Southampton. They tried to sign Naby Keita. Leipzig say no. They say, oh, well, we can't get him either. And then Barcelona come along and say, we want to sign your best player. And they say, well, okay, everybody wants to go to Barcelona. I mean, wh why can't they do what Southampton or, or Leipzig have done? It's a matter of timing, isn't it? The window's still open. It's, it's, you know, obviously the clock's running down, but I'm sure the deal will be done. Southampton might need a player to replace the centre-half. They don't want to let him go in case they can't get him in. It has to be the right deal in the sense of money, the whole package. I'm sure, you know, well, they obviously aren't talking because they're not allowed to do it. Um, <laughs> that's a load of bollocks, by the way. I don't know a player, right, 100% a player that doesn't get tapped up. Every player that I've known has been tapped up, haven't you? Well, including... <laughs> Come on, lads. <laughs> well, including somebody on one couch here by somebody on another couch, but... <laughs> You'll have to work that out. You'll have to work that out for yourself. 
Niall, tell us, the, Stephen Gerrard said last night that Coutinho will have to go to war if he wants to get out of there. Would you recommend that course of action for a player? If they uh, nobody, nobody wants to see that because he's such a favourite. He's such a pleasing player as far as Liverpool fans are concerned and what he's done and how he's progressed his career there. And Jason's probably right. You know, if Liverpool are pushing to try and win a title, convince their fans that they're going to win a title, then the powers that be will block all moves to go and they'll show their true intent as a football club. That's the way I see it. If a figure is reached and it's a bit nonsensical and they accept it and throw the line out that we had to do it, that the money was there, I think what they're really saying is they're putting the money and the growth of the business side of the club ahead of the performance side. And, and I'd be with you on that, Ken. I'd say Klopp has to say, well, what am I doing here then? You know, you got me in here, you extended my contract, you're telling fans that we want to win the league and we want to do this, that and the other. You know, this, this should have been put to bed a long time ago and it should have been an emphatic no from all parts of the camp. What about the idea, though, that the power is in the player's hands and the well, player can essentially, if they want to go, they can just down tools? Do you know, there are only a few clubs who can handle that and quell or quench the player's anger and fury and bring them back into play and make them a, a club player again within a period of time. And Liverpool are one of those clubs. Man City are one of those clubs. There's a few clubs who can do that. Um, Yaya Torre at City and his agent pushing for moves there over the years, knocked him back, left him out for months and months and brought him back in. Suarez, Suarez was the same. Suarez was the same and they went in the end because his contract was getting a little bit nearer the, nearer the run. So I, I'd be disappointed if Coutinho was allowed to hold the club to ransom. If he did go to war... Again, it's not him, it's his, an agency advice to do that and that's where you start to fall out of love in the, with the beautiful game and you're glad that you're down in Kerry walking dogs and not talking about it, to be honest. I've got a point in that. I, I think the clubs are in the strong position and players, us players or whatever, players in general get, get knocked because Coutinho, if the club say that Coutinho is not going from day one, not, not at like a, a game of cards or whatever, you're not going, that's it. They don't need to sell, they're a big club. Liverpool's a big club. Why sell them? Why do they have to sell them? Say no from day one. Don't say no because we want to get the price up. Say no because we're a big club. He's on a, on a long-term contract. Yeah, but I've been there, Shane, and then the next thing is, okay, then give, double my money and make me stay. Make me feel better to stay. And so the, the player wins. You know, it's, it's, it, no matter what happens, the worst outcome is the player gets a new deal. Well, that's so, a good, good so, outcome for Liverpool. So when you were Sunderland chairman, did you, every time a player came looking to leave, did you crumble every time? Sometimes I went, what a good idea that is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Because half of them were hopeless, Richie, as you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but there would have been one or two. Darren Bent would have been the one. He was the star player at the time. He'd got himself back in the England team. He'd got his 20-plus goals. And thought he was going to kick on. And he came in wanting to move to a Turkish club who had you know, promised him a huge pay rise on what we were on. And we just you know, stood firm. But then the six months that came afterwards, he was unsettled and uh, eventually Aston Villa, who were bottom of the table under Jared Houllier, came in at Christmas and gave us an offer that ended it because he hadn't been at his best in those six months after the initial sort of turning, if you like, and so uh, we, we decided that it was best to, to move him on. Uh, the problem with that is, you, you know, we had, we had Asamoah Jan, who's a decent player in his own right, but he was a 15-goal a season player, not a 24, 25-goal. And so it kind of hurt us, but we, we thought we were doing the right thing, and... Darren's career never really, it didn't stay where it was and it didn't go to any higher levels. It didn't work out for anyone, I think, history tells me in that deal, except he would have got an awful big pay rise by staying in Aston Villa. The alternative was, was to turn down the Aston Villa money, give him a king's ransom and try and bring, bring him back in. We didn't have the money to do that. Uh, 
I, I suggest Liverpools and cities, they, they can at that, in that particular instance. You were in a, a position a bit like that, though, Shay, weren't you? I mean, when you left Newcastle in 2009, they probably didn't want you to leave. Or did, I mean, what was happening there? How did you say to them... Because I think you, you put in transfer requests years before that, and they were like, no, we're not selling you. So what was the difference in 2009? The difference in 2009 is that there's Mike Ashley wanted to sell me, but let on he didn't want to sell me, basically. And the reason I had to put a transfer request in, because he says he wasn't going to sell me. But at that point, it was a, it was a club that was a selling club. Like James Milner, lots of players got sold. We weren't replacing them. We were signing free transfers. I think Joe Kinnear was the manager, and then Chris Hutton took over. You know, it was, it was a club that he was just running into the ground, I felt. And I was there for, like, nearly 12 years of my life, my career, my senior sort of peak of my career. And, and I just felt that the club was going in a totally wrong direction. Of course, Manchester City might have spoke to me here. Jason might have spoke to me. And, and <laughs> I knew there was an interest, of course. And, uh, it's amazing you can find these things out. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. It's a small world football, but... Um, but to be fair, Man City was a club that was going places. You know, Sheikh Mansour was involved. They signed Rubinho in the previous window. It was a club that we go. They challenge for the Premier League every year now. But I was probably at the start of that, and um, it felt right for me to go to a club that was that was going places. And Newcastle for me at the time wasn't. And I was a big wrench. Don't get me wrong. I was there a long time. Robbie Savage a few years back printed an eleven-point guide to forcing a transfer. Jason, I don't know if you remember this article. Who did you say? Robbie Savage. No. <laughs> <laughs> Silk, stop communicating, fake an injury, make up newspaper stories, undermine the manager, fight with teammates, moan to backroom staff. Be, a lot of these are just the same, really. These are all to get out of a football club. Yeah, yeah, there's a few more. Uh, have you ever tried any of those tricks yourself or seen it happen? And what, can, what effect can it, hap- can it have on a club if you know there's a guy in there who's just trying to get out of it? To be honest, I mean, it's not on the scale of, of what we're looking at with Coutinho or Suarez, but when I was at Bolton, um, we got promoted to the Premier League. And obviously, I'd, I'd spoken to a couple of clubs. Uh, <laughs> I'd spoken to a couple of clubs. Shit, I'm in As you do. Yeah. I'm gonna get a, can you still get an FA reprimand, even though you've retired? No, I think they're okay with you, Jess. Am I all right now? No, you're okay. Okay. Um, I was getting, I won't name the clubs, but Liverpool and Blackburn were never off the blower, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Bruce Rock, had got, Bruce Rock was the manager of Bolton, and obviously he got his promoter, and he went to Arsenal as manager, and then Roy McFarlane come in, and Colin Todd had taken over. And me and Stubbsy, were, <laughs> we were taking phone calls and stuff, so we actually thought that we were going to leave that summer. And Roy McFarlane just pulled me and Stubbsy and just said, listen, you're not going anywhere, you're here for the season. And to be fair, I did throw my toys out the pram for, for a couple of weeks, but I just went in and, say, and I said, listen, same thing, if the price comes in and it's a good deal for you, then, then let me go because you're going to spoil the opportunity for Blackburn have just won the title, Liverpool was the club I supported. So, you know, if it's one of them, them clubs, the top, top clubs, then please consider it for me. And they just went, okay, so there was a compromise there and then I was settled and then I played the first seven or eight games and then Blackburn then come in for... For me and Alan Stubbs, nine million quid. That's obviously eight and a half million for me and five hundred grand for Stubbsy. Um, so, uh, so we ended up having talks with Kenny, and the deal was done. But there was just a compromise there that just settled everything down, and, and the dust settled, and we and we got on with it. But it it is difficult. And going back to the Coutinho one, you know, we're not talking like him signing for Bournemouth here or or Watford. It's Barcelona at the end of the day, and he is South American. You know, it it is one of the biggest clubs in the world. You can understand you know, where it's all coming from. It's going to be difficult to keep him. But like I said, as long as Liverpool are happy with the money that's, that they want and they get, you know, then maybe a deal's there to be done. But until that figure's met, I think Liverpool will keep him. 
I think uh, a lot of people looking at the Premier League this season expect the two Manchester clubs to do a bit better than they did last year. But I wonder, did you catch any of the Super Cup last night? Did you see any of it? No, we were flying over. Um, I don't know how there is an uproar about what is happening at Manchester United. When you, when you see the team, when you see this... I have never seen such a ridiculous uh, bunch of... Like a bunch of giant rugby players <laughs> lumbering around. And whenever anything bad happens, they throw on Fellaini. And that's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I there. believe they took Kenny Cunningham on as head of recruitment, haven't he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't see why this isn't uh, kind of a bigger a bigger scandal. Like this is this is nonsense. This is not this is not uh, the way that things should be at Manchester United. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll take that. So I actually see a little bit of a, an improvement in what I saw last year on them already in pre-season. Uh, I'm six foot five. Maybe that's why. I don't know. You'd be uh, playing for them. But, uh, <laughs> maybe, but uh, I think there's a, there's a. There's a feeling that the spine of the team now will change everything for them. That, in other words, Matic coming in there, allowing Pogba to go up and be creative further up the field, and Lukaku to come alive and, and be the inspiration that he was for Everton. There's a lot of ifs there. Rashford join in and join the party and score 15 goals this year. You know, there's a, there's a number of things that are, are added to that. But the only thing I would say, when Mourinho was at Chelsea when he first came back, and they weren't great. And he spoke about, you know, Matic was going to make the difference and it allows a lot of other things to happen. And I, I actually think that's going to happen with Manchester United. I think, you know, F- F- I, Fellaini is, is a player much spoken about and I, I don't see him being part of that spine that I'm talking about. Maybe throwing him on to get a, to get a goal late on and stuff if they're, if, if they're putting balls into the box. But quite frankly, for Mourinho to work this team, he needs his keeper, the best keeper in Europe, to be absolutely focused and driven. Is that, can I say that for certain yet? I will do when the window closes. Uh, he needs Matic to be that supreme player in that position that he just glides along and rules the roost on. He needs Pogba to be a, a hundred million pound player, you know, not just an also ran. And, and the biggest one, I, think, I see Lukaku with a blue shirt on him, feeling as if he owns the game at times last year. I hope the power of the red shirt on him doesn't suppress him, that he comes and grows in it. And if he does, and as I said, Rashford come to the party, I think Man United actually have a chance the way Mourinho works it. Shay, what do you think? Did you go with Niall or with Ken here, a bunch of... Hooking, actually, hooking, well, I wouldn't go as far as to say I would agree with Ken ever, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd actually, I'd actually agree with the angle he's coming from. I wouldn't go as strongly as Ken, but, you know, we've all watched the Manchester United teams throughout the... Alex Ferguson here, call it what you want the successful years, the trophies they won, and how they played, how they entertained and stuff. And I mean, we, as I say, we missed the game last night because we were flying over, but I read some reports today in, in, in the breaks and stuff, and the, the report I read was at the end they just resulted they launching it up to Fellaini and, and hoping for, you know, knockdowns or a break or just a lucky goal, you know, and that's not Manchester United. That's not the Manchester United that I've known or grown up next to. And, and, and I can understand what Ken saying in a sense, how is the Man United fans going, it's okay, Mourinho's in charge, but... You know, had David Moyes been in charge last night and, and maybe they played that way, would, would the reaction be the same? So I know they won two trophies last year and that probably papers over a few of the cracks, but I think still, still there's a lot to do there. See, I don't understand the point of just signing players who are over six foot two. I mean, have you played against a, uh, a team that had all players who were six foot two? Are they much better than a, than a team? Well, of... just pointing out, I would say the Spanish team who won the World Cup, won the European Championships, probably average height was five foot eight, five foot nine, whatever they were. They were a team of, not my just, but 
can't say that word, sorry, but Five small people. Um, but they were like super, super brilliant, like the way they passed, the way they played, the way they moved, you know. But I can understand maybe he's going for the power and the, and the height. And Quinny obviously stood up for the, for the tall guys there, so I don't know. I don't see it. Jason's thinking really deep here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried what he's going to come out with, to be honest. I just fucking ate them, so... To be honest, I did them a sorry, couple of... Sorry for that detailed, over-detailed tactical analysis. <laughs> analysis I did them last season a couple of times. They weren't far away, you know. I did, I did that Burnley game. It was ridiculous. You know, they, they hit the bar, the post. They, they'd still be there now and still hadn't a score. They, 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 weren't, they weren't far away. Um, but that's Mourinho. He likes the physical side of it, doesn't he? He likes a team that can cope throughout the demands of a pre-season with, with extra cup games and stuff. So um, I kind of get it, you know, the 1-0 wins, grinding out results... Um, goals were a problem for him last season that's why Lukaku's come in so they won't be far away Man United it kills me to say it but they won't be far away Shay, what's your sense of what's going on at City this summer it's, it seems to have gone well in the transfer market it's all very relaxed you know this is a long term project with Pep Guardiola there but surely he's under at least as much pressure, pressure as Mourinho is this summer I think he is you know last year everyone sort of I said myself 12 months ago that they were my tip for the title and you know I was wrong as we can be at times but I'm going to sit here today and say I think they're still favourites for the title this year and, and, and I think with the players they brought in, the goalkeeper, obviously a new goalkeeper, two probably the best fullbacks maybe in European football with Mendy and, and, and Walker coming in. So, But the pressure's on, I agree, the pressure's on Guardiola. You know, they spent hundreds of millions last summer, they spent hundreds of millions this summer. He's come in as one of the best coaches in the world. He didn't win a trophy last year, so I think there's huge pressure on him this season. What did you think of what happened there last season with Joe Hart and Bravo? I said it at the time, I thought it was very poor how Joe was dealt with. I felt if Guardiola is, 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 the, is the coach that we all think he is, then there's no reason why he couldn't coach Joe to play out from the back. You know, it's not hard to pass the ball five yards to the centre half who wanted the show for the ball, whereas the previous season, Pellegrini maybe didn't want Joe to play out from the back, and then they show the stats on the TVs, long kicks, there's more than any other goalkeeper, all this kind of stuff. And I, I do feel that Joe was hard done by there, and, and I think that was a weak link last year. I don't think Bravo or Caballero were, were the answer, and obviously that's why they spent over 30 million. On a new goalkeeper? I don't think it was football. I think everyone's getting clouded that Joe couldn't play out with his feet. I don't think it was a footballing decision any, at all. I think Joe is a big character in the dressing room. I think he has a lot to say for himself. He's a very confident boy. I think Guardiola would come in, whether he'd heard about Joe the way he was or whether he'd seen it first hand. He, he didn't want him around. Is he that just, not exactly what you want? Especially coming no. in to come into a country, have a guy no, from that country, knows the league, knows no, the club. He, no, I think he'd made his mind up that he didn't want him to play. And he, thought, and he thought that he was going to be a problem in the dressing room. And I just think he, he wanted him out the club. And he, and he, he shipped him off to Torino, Torino. And that's where he, he played out the season. I don't think he's got any time for Joe at all. Yeah, I mean, he did, he did get rid of him very quickly. I mean, he didn't play at all. Uh, he just said, OK, you're... you're he did it at Barcelona as well, didn't he, when he took over? He got all some yeah. of the big... I know Eto stayed, but he got, a, he got some of the big voices out the dressing room. Yeah, was, yeah Eto, Eto was gone. Where well, Ronaldinho was gone, he had to hang on to Eto for a year, but he was gone then. I, I mean, I wondered now, actually, because it, one of the things that you see about Guardiola, which, I was, which I kind of gives me doubts about him, is the sort of... Uh, you would have seen a lot in his interviews around the games. Sometimes Guardiola treats the guys asking questions. Okay, sometimes the questions are stupid. They're repetitive. You know, they, they seem to be deliberately not getting what he's trying to say, or they're looking for him to say something, you know, that's going to cause him trouble. But his attitude was just so arrogant sometimes. Just like, hey, what gives you the right to treat this person like that? And I wonder when I see that, What's he like mm -hmm. when something happens in training? You know, there's, there's 25 players there. Someone looks at him funny. 
what happens then? You know what I mean? I, I, I just don't know yeah. if he's really got much of a connection with people. Yeah, but funny, we, we were talking earlier, like, what is it that actually makes a great manager these days, you know? And, and it's, it's that you control all sorts of people in the dressing room and make them play to the best of their ability at all times. And the better the player, you know, sometimes the easier it is, but also the egos are, are there. So he, he's breezed through life coming from where he did to where he has ended up in being able to do that and having that power. And Joe Hart may have been an exercise in, look, everybody, this is what you do if you're not up there at 100%. I think it was something like that. If somebody looked at him a couple of times after the January announcement, so they knew he was, he knew he was coming to the club. He looks at Joe Hart. He goes, "Now he's one I'm going to... Ha- yeah, and they, I've heard he's a bit lippy in the dressing room. He's one I'm going to get out. Uh, that's fine. But going back to the interviews... And managers do that, and it's a tactical thing. Well, I, I mean, interviews, inter- interviews are now are, are not really a big deal, but it's yeah. just an indicator of what he's like. Yeah, and and actually, not many managers really do that. Yeah, uh, sometimes as, he's as edgy, as well as that, he can be edgy in interviews where he's actually shown a little bit of pressure. It's so patronising, like. Yeah, I agree. Um, but what I like about his his actions this summer, he refused to take a question on how to. Def- poorly defensive his team were in the last three months of the season. He refused to talk about it. it. My team will always play with my philosophy. We will always do this. We will always do that. But it, he does seem to have addressed that issue, or at least be trying to address the issue at the back. Because if you just do a simple exercise here and look at their home form and the games they drew when they dominated with that lovely free-flown football going forward, it was only Stoke where they played poorly, I think. They got a, a draw at, at Stoke, at, at home to Stoke. There's other, they, I think they drew seven, six or seven other games when they were by far the better team at times, but you know, their opposition came up and scored soft goals. If he was still ignoring that this summer and carrying on and saying, I'm going to keep John Stones as a great player, we're going to be fine, we're going to roll the ball out to him, I don't care what happens... I wouldn't be here saying they have a chance of winning the title. I would say the same thing would happen again. But he seems to be addressing it with the, the goalkeeper, with the, the fullbacks that have come in. I'd love to know that company is rip-roaring and fit and he's going to have a great year. And I'd love Stones you know, to understand that it's not all about how you look. It's not about being in the parade ring. It's about being out and winning the race and being the one that's uh, defensively you know, on top of his opponent all the time because that was a big problem for them last year. Stones, lovely on the eye. But when you analyze it and you look at how goals went in, you go, what was he doing standing there? Why wasn't he there? You know, there's a, there's a defensive side to his game, and he needs company to bring that out of him. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be going again in the transfer market. I wanted to ask the three of you about one other preseason story that hit the headlines, and it happened at Sunderland when Darren Gibson went out after a 5 0 defeat to Celtic, wasn't it, in preseason? Uh, on this one, then. Drowned his sorrows. <laughs> Neck it. Drowned his sorrows with the supporters, uh, ends up in a heated exchange with fans and tells them we're shit, and then goes on to outline a number of the players who he feels don't want to be at the club. Uh, should a player like that just not be getting himself into that situation? That's the kind uh, of, of, course, of course, but you know, but, but, you know, but surely they're allowed out and they're allowed to have a couple of drinks. It's just that they don't yeah, have to be careful what they say. You see, any Sunderland fan who got upset about that, who I know, mates of mine, I've said to him, "Listen, you've a short memory. Uh, I was lighting candles." on the night of our last game, the first year we were in the Premier League trying to stay up. And if Hull beat Man United at home, we, went, we were in big trouble of going down because we were playing Chelsea. And Darren Gibson scored a 35-yarder against Hull and we stayed up. So he has actually done Sunderland a big favour in the past. <laughs> now they're paying him for, for, for stuff today and he's not really producing. But uh, I have a soft spot for him. There's, there's something that, that, you know, his career has been stop-start. He got injured when it looked as if it was going a couple of times. And... He's found himself in a situation which is wrong, right? Okay, can't defend, I suppose, where he said and how he said what he wanted to get off his chest, obviously. 
But I tell you what would have been interesting if he'd done that after training at two o'clock in front of a press group and called them out. You know, then I think it would have it would have really sorted the men out from the boys in that dressing room. And I, I don't care whether it's the GAA stars tell you this or us. You need a good rook in the dressing room every now and then. You just need to get it all out there and really test and challenge people. Do you know? Do you, you know? Do you think Paul O'Connell went and said everything's great there, lads? Let's just keep the thing nice and easy and nice and handy. No, he didn't in, in, in the Irish rugby team. And I, and I just feel that Sunderland lacked that so much last year. They may have had good players who were injured, you know, that could do that. Kirchhoff, I thought, might have been capable of that. And obviously, Catamol has has that edge to him. But but the way it happened is really unf- really bad for Darren. Like you know, I mean. I've had pints in my day. Uh, I, I've, <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, and, I, and I've had people annoy me, you know, and, and you want to have a, have a cut back. There was no mobiles, you know, being held with somebody's hip trying to take you on. I was lucky in that respect. But I suppose where, where it went really bad for him was saying, and listen, you shouldn't be having to go with me. It's some other two or three idiots that are playing with us who don't care. That's the bit that had he said that in public, like Roy Keane would have done back in the day. I think that would be... I think some of them fans say, go on, laddie, have a go. Yeah, this is exactly what football is criticised for as a game now, as a sport, as a business, that the players are, you know, too much up themselves and don't go out, don't see the fans. Should we not be applauding players well, who go out and have a future? This has highlighted, doesn't it, why, why football is... You never, they never come out and say anything. You never see them anymore. You don't see the personality because of what's happened with Darren Gibson. I, I, I've got no problem with what Darren Gibson said at all. Like when he said, the manner and fact that he, he couldn't actually say the names of the players because he was bollocksed. Just doesn't really go down. And, really and they'd been beaten five 0 that afternoon, which <laughs> and didn't they, help. Well, as well. And they'd yeah. been beaten five 0 by Celtic. Really didn't help. Um, but if I was a manager, you know, I'd be getting him in and kind of thanking him a little bit for, for helping me out. You know, if Roy Keane would have done it, we'd all be thinking he was a hero. You know, Roy does do things like that, and everyone goes, "That's brilliant, that isn't it?" But the manner in which he said it, like when he said being out and being the state he was in, obviously doesn't help him. But, but, but I've got do, no do, problem with do, it. Do, at do all. know what I think is interesting when he actually comes out on the pitch again. If he comes off the bench, you know, like it's, it's almost like he, he has to be a matador and just be something that he's never been before, tear into tackles, you know, show that he actually means what he says and he's not going to duck and go under and say, oh, what am I doing? This club isn't good for me, you know, I'm misunderstood. He's got to come out and show heart. He's got to show courage. And if he does it, believe it or not, he's at the one club that will say, go on, son. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again, they cheer a tackle louder in Sunderland than a goal. He needs to lead by example now, doesn't he? I think it's difficult, personally, as a player. Obviously, I'm still sort of involved. If you listen to Jason, I'm not involved anymore. But anyway, Charles trying. To, I'm still trying to be involved. But the thing is, like, I don't know, when I started even for Ireland 20 years ago or maybe more, uh, you know, we used to have a drink with the fans. We used to have a drink with the, with the, with the media and, and we'd all have the crack and whatever, and, and it'd be great. And now, you know, if the lads in the Irish team went out for a drink, then it'd be, as you say, all over the phones, all on Twitter and... Then it'd be like forums like this, everyone getting hammered and getting annihilated. So it's, it's difficult for a player because you want to obviously have a good life or enjoy your life when, when the timing's right. I agree with the lads, the timing was wrong, obviously, with Darren Dunn. But at the same time, you can't win as a player sometimes because you're, you're out with the fans and stuff. And then I think Darren's been stitched up with the, you know, one guy was asking the questions from there and this guy was videoing and he was just getting teed up, like, you know, and it's... He was stitched up, in my opinion, but it's, it's difficult because you say, oh, players are untouchable and stuff, and I don't think I've changed over the 20 years or 25 years I've been involved, but at the same time, you're a bit weary if you're out and about, and people have got, everyone's got a camera phone now. It probably depends where you are as well, what city you're in. Maybe in London or elsewhere, you, you, you could go somewhere you're not going to be talked to, but Sunderland probably isn't one of those places. Neither is Newcastle, Shay, certainly according to this, this story that Duffer told Richie a few weeks back in the players' chair. 
like if you the team ain't doing well you literally can't leave your house it's like i've had lads follow me into restaurants it always seemed to be wagamamas happened i think three times at wagamamas i'd walk in open plan um restaurant and just be a geordie fan that's probably in the middle of the gallagate on a saturday but he'd just stand up at reception just scream down at me duff your fucking shit man i'm like yeah okay no bother but uh stuff like that walking down the street being a bar i remember with shay shay was a legend up there I'm having drinks with shay the geezer comes up shay you're a ledge duff you better leave here now or we're gonna fucking do this and that to you so uh um like i said wouldn't change it for the world i love stuff like that bring it on wouldn't change it for the world you might have missed that last bit he says bring it on it says duff duff mcgregor there do you remember that incident shay? Yeah, i do yeah um we had a funny story once. After one of the games, we, we went to a bar. Um, his dad was over, actually, Jerry Duff, and we had a few beers and stuff. And Jerry, obviously, we were playing, so we, but Jerry was at the game the whole day, and Duffer had a box and stuff. And Jerry was drinking the whole way through the game. Obviously, we went for a restaurant after, and it's typical only fools and horses. We're at this bar, and I think it was Jesmond at the time. And the, the barmaid or the barman's gone to, to get something through the thingy. And Jerry's leaned back in the thing, and he's, he's literally went head over heels behind the bar like that. But Duffer goes, he was in Wagaman was three times, possibly the only three times he left the house, because he used to train, go home, sleep, come back in, train, sleep. That's all he used to do, Duffer wanted to sleep. I'm surprised he was out of the house that many times. I remember at Blackburn, he, uh, he bought a new car, one of these Jeeps, and he come in, his number plate was Duff 11. Yes, we heard about this. Have you heard about that? Did you hear about it Richie Sanders? It was Lucas Neal's idea. No, and I said, it must have cost you a fortune, that Duffer. He went, no, I went to Holford's and just got it printed and stuck it on the car. <laughs> It's true. And I thought I was thick. Lads, <laughs> I've got to ask you for predictions before we wrap things Can up. I just asked Richie's story. What was your Oh, story? yeah. Yeah, go on. What's it? Your, your uh, X5 Sad. Well, I've said it's X5 Sads was Richie's yeah, I was young. I was young. I was very young. <laughs> you did, you, did you have personal regs? You one of you must have had. I did have one there in Newcastle, go. actually, but I had, to, I had to take it off. What, what did it what, say? What? A G11 VEN. It was a bit too much, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, people follow me into car parks and follow me home, sort of thing. So I was like, nah, nah. What was it? Gee, oh, he can't even work it out in his head. <laughs> He's not even joking. Okay, lads. I'll tell you after. First manager to you get the pen. sack. You got a pen? First manager to get the sack or lose his job this year? Great question. <laughs> Jason, focus. I'm asking the important Conte. Question. First manager to get a sack, get the sack or leave his job. Conte says Niall Quinn. No more drink. Outside bet. Shay. First manager to get the sack. Wow. Or, or, or leave of his own volition. Um, Rafa Benitez. First manager get the sack. Get the sack. Then walk out. <laughs> Rafa. Will we move walk. on to the next <laughs> next prediction? No, no. We're going to have to. We're going to wait. It's, it's a podcast. We can stay for three hours if we need to. <laughs> Everyone's comfortable there, yeah. yeah. I don't but know. Until they need another drink. Um, I think if Rafa doesn't get maybe more money by before the end of the window, I think he'll be he'll be thinking because the way he's talking is I need more money or yeah, I'm not going to. He keeps be having a little pop every week. He has a pop, you know. Yeah. And I know some people are getting a bit fed up with it, but a lot of the fans up there are saying he's actually right because at the end of the last season, Mike Ashley says he's going to back him, and yeah. and they still not. They've signed a couple of players, but they've not like gone mad. Okay, well, Jason gives us his answer. I'll ask you two to start thinking about our next question. We're going to have to do it this way. That's player of the season. Get your player of the season in your heads. Jason, we're still on the first question. Why have um, I complicated this so much? I'm gonna... <laughs> manager, manager to get sacked. That G11's done me. Um, I'm gonna go... 
actually, I'm going to go with Eddie Howe. Really? We don't even need what, what's, any... What's, what's going on at Bournemouth? I mean, is something, something about to go pear-shaped there? Eddie no, Howe? No. <laughs> just, don't, just don't like Eddie Howe. What about Jurgen Klopp, Jason? No, Jurgen's there for life. Yeah, he just knock my teeth out then, you <laughs> Player of the year, Shay? Um, oh, player of the year, uh, probably, I'm going to put me, you alright there? Yes, Jason so, didn't I'm going to go like Kaku. I think yeah. as Niall said before, he's going for big money. I think he's going to get a lot more chances at Manchester yeah. United if they play maybe a bit better, Ken, but no. I'll, I'll put Lukaku up there. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, that was, uh, that was yeah. your one off air earlier. Yeah. Your one, if yeah. he stays, Coutinho. Coutinho if he stays, so we'll see. And champions should be an easy one. You were, you were thinking Liverpool. You st- you're veering away from Liverpool depending on what's happening in the They're taking a, back, a little step backwards last, couple, last week. But the window's still open, in it? So we've got a chance. Um, what was the question? Champions. Team, uh, win the league. If I'm going to go... City. City. I'm definitely with Man City. I think this is Man City. Yeah. Man City, sorry. Three, three for Man City. Richie, do you want to give us a... Man City. Ken, do you want to change it up? Yeah, Man City. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got an email in this morning before we let the boys go here from one of our audience tonight. Dear second captains, I'm wondering if you can possibly help me out. I'm coming to the show tonight in the Sugar Club... And I'm in possession of one of the most famous Irish football shirts of all time. Yes, you guessed it, the Orange Macedonia shirt. See attached a picture of me in the shirt at the Ireland-France game at Euro 2016 with Irish legend half-forward half-defender Gary Doherty. I'm wondering, can you help me out as I'm desperately trying to get it signed by the man who made it famous, Jason McAteer? It would be greatly appreciated. The jersey against Holland is one thing, but this one is extra special. Looking forward to the show. That's from John McEnroy. We have got the footage of the incident that you're referring to, I believe, John. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like there's a lot going on. Roy Keane is calming the situation down here, <laughs> just leading Jason away. But what's the referee going to It's a like red card. It's unbelievable. What is, what is actually going on here? It doesn't seem like anything too bad, I don't think. He's, he's, eyes on the ball. <laughs> Slight, slightly high. If you watch the footage back, right, I get... <laughs> it is a bad angle. But I get a yellow card for taking his head off. Yeah. And I get the second yellow card, which is a red, for Neiman in the nuts when we're arguing. So I don't know if you can play it back, but I actually knee him right in the stonks. Well, I'm sure you'll sign the jersey. Will you sign the jersey for John? Do you want to make your way up here and we'll get that no famous problem. Macedonia jersey signed? Round of applause, please, for Jason McAteer, Shay Gibbon, and Niall Quinn. You are listening to a live recording of the Second Captain's Podcast in the Sugar Club in Dublin. The crowd, after a listless start, has improved greatly and is carrying the show beautifully now. We have been looking forward to the 25th session, season, indeed, of the Premier League, as Murph mentioned there. And for any young guns in the audience tonight who don't remember the early years, I'm not seeing too many of you, to be honest, our big guest tonight was one of the very first superstars of the Premier League. Let's hear it for Robbie Fowler! one of your many goals playing behind you there. Robbie, thanks very much for coming along. Thank you very much. It is kind of incredible, not to start in a downer, but it is incredible when you look back at some of the early footage that Liverpool still haven't won a Premier League title despite being there or thereabouts for most of those 25 years. Not an easy question to start with, but... Yeah, no cheers to that. Why why, why have Liverpool yet to get over the line, do you think? 
I think simply you've got to be honest and just say there's, uh, there's other teams who've been better. I think uh, certainly on paper, or certainly the years when I was there, you know, we had a very good team. Uh, but if you're being honest, the team down the road was better. You know, we had better results. Uh, and that's what it's all about. You know, it's, um, it's all good and well having a great team, but you've got to get results. And, you know, when it matters, you know, we, we, we failed to deliver. Do you think they're getting closer again? Yeah, I think they get closer every year. But the thing is, you know, so do other teams. Certainly with the money in the Premier League now, um, you know, every team wants to sign players. Um, you know, probably like you know, the lads were saying before, the start of the season, everyone's got a chance. You know, you're all on the same, the same slate. Um, but you get the teams who are consistent will, will win the league. You know, that, that's probably one of Liverpool's problems. And it was this problem when I was playing. You know, we'd beat the, um, you know, we'd beat the top teams. Not easy, but we'd, um, you know, we'd, we'd get the points against them, but we'd struggle against the uh, so-called weaker teams. And that's where you need um, you need need to get the points from them to actually win the league, get that consistency. Uh, and if you can do that, you know I, I certainly think Liverpool can you know, can match anyone. You know they, they proved that. I know you want to talk, but just can wait. Uh, they've actually come to see me. <laughs> Go on, carry on. <laughs> I won't even But if, if you take yourself back to, to 96, the summer of 96, yeah. which was, a, you know, you had an amazing season. The, the team had had an amazing season, played great football, didn't win anything. Yeah. What were you thinking we need to do for the next season at that stage? You, you know what, I think, I mean, it's a good question, actually. I think if you think of Liverpool now, when everyone goes on about, yeah, Liverpool are great on the counter-attack. You know, they have the pace of Mane and now Salah on the other side. Uh, and it's all good and well, but that's only when you're playing against counter uh, when you're counter-attacking. One of Liverpool's problems, they need that when teams sit deep, right? they need someone with a little bit of skill, a little bit of guile. Uh, and I think, I know, as much as the, the lads who are pace have got a little bit, they're not unbelievably skillful. They'll get past players with the, with the pace. But, you know, when you get into the final third, when teams are sitting deep, you know, you need someone like, uh, you know, you think of Chelsea of the year with, you know, Hazard, um, you know, players like that. You know, who can unlock defences. And that's probably what Liverpool, Liverpool lacked. Um, you know, this is why I think it's, it's, it's important that you keep the likes of Coutinho at Liverpool uh, because he is that type of player who can do that. And he's got better the more and more he's been at Liverpool. So, uh, fingers crossed, we see a little bit more of that because that's what, you know, the players you need to, to unlock tight defences. Yeah. It seems to me Liverpool have, more than pretty much any other English team, really suffered from losing players to Real Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, because and everyone says, well, you know, if you sign South American players or Spanish players, they always want to go and play for Real Madrid or Barcelona. But in Liverpool's case, it's not just Alonso, Mascherano, you know, uh, Suarez, maybe Coutinho. It's also like Michael Owen and Steve McManaman. You know, even the, the even the local guys end up going to to Spain. So, I mean, what? How, how can they solve that problem? I mean, is it just is it something they can not do anything about? Um, again, it's a good question. I think you're. Um I mean, the, the, the way to solve it is by winning leagues. You know, if you're successful by winning leagues, then players want to come to you and they want to stay there when they are there. So um, I think that's basically what you've got to do. You know, you've got to attract these players. You know, you've got to be, you've got to be that player who, who can, A, you know, get them to win the league and, B, get them there to, you know, maybe attract other players. Look, you know, I think Jason, Jason was saying before, with um, you know, the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, look, let's get it straight. They are top, top clubs. Uh, and any player, you know, will want to go to them. You know, regardless if you're happy in, in the UK. You know, these are you know top top clubs. So, 
you can understand why people want to go to them because you know I think you're more or less guaranteed winning stuff. And if you're not winning, you know, stuff in your own domestic league, uh, and as a player, you know, I always wanted to be remembered for winning stuff. I think you've got a, you know a good chance of winning stuff with them two clubs. Robbie, is Liverpool as a city a part of the problem in that you've called it the biggest village on earth before? There's so much, there's such a longing now to do it, and the more it goes on without a, a league title, the more stress there is. Well, I don't know. You're in the city. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a stress around the whole thing that kind of feeds into feeds into the mindset of of the team that are out there? I don't think so. Look, you know, I think as a, certainly as a player, you've got to just focus on what you can do. I think if you start worrying about you know outside influences, then I think you're in the wrong game because you can't be doing that with football. You've got to go and focus on on certainly what you can do and what you. How can you avoid it though? How could you possibly avoid it in a city that's not a huge city where you can just get away from people? Well, when you say you can avoid it, because I mean you don't go to the places where you know nutcases are. I mean that. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory term. I think, you know, obviously there's, there's people, you know, all over the country, certainly in this country as well, where, you know, they're, they're so focused on, you know, actually winning stuff and, and doing well for, or wanting that club to do well. But you know what? Not everywhere is. So I think you are quite selective where you go. Um, and you, look, if you, if you want quiet, you can find quiet. And if you want busy, you can get busy. So um, it is just one of them things that, you know, I think people may put you under pressure. Uh, but look, you know, as, as a footballer, you know, you've got to just worry about what you can do, uh, as opposed to what you know what people can tell tell you to do or what people can say to you. Well, like I said, you know, socially, you're out here in the city. Sometimes trouble can come looking for you. I mean, it happened to you. You, you know, a couple of guys assaulted you in a hotel. One of them went to jail. I think, you know, Ross Barkley last season mm-hmm. had, had a kind of a problem. Um, I mean, I remember you you you, uh, you wrote in your your autobiography that Rooney. Um, who at that stage had, had joined Man United only a couple of years, you said it probably helped him to get out of the city. So what did you mean by the idea that it helped him to, to move? I'm just going to give you, obviously, a little bit of a truth in this as well. Um, not every time... You know when you see books in, uh, you know, in bookstores uh, and it says autobiography? You don't necessarily write them yourself. <laughs> Have you read the book? Are you familiar with its contents? Well, listen, it's better than Jason's. I know Jason's is a colouring one, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, look, I mean, in, in, in theory, it's probably spot on. I mean, Liverpool is, you know, it, it is a small city. Um, and look, you know, there is, I mean, there's idiots about. I mean, idiots can be, can be everywhere. So you have, what I said before, you've got to be selective where you go. Um, and, you know, Wayne Rooney was, was maybe at a, you know, at a club. Uh, and he felt that at the time, you know, he was going to go and win stuff at Manchester United. And to be fair to the lad, he did, didn't he? Um, you know, he's back home now. I don't know if he's, uh, he's living in Liverpool at the minute, but um, it's, uh, it's probably a good time for him to go back. Well, one of, one of the things you talked about in that, in that book, which I hope you did right, because I thought it was really good, was, was uh, you, you were talking about uh, Toxic, the area that you're from. Mm-hmm. And we've got, we've got a little clip here. This is from, I think, 94, 95. Oh, no. This is, you, know, you know the one. You know the one. Know, so let's just have a look at this. Can we not talk about Coutinho? I've grew up here. I just love it. There's like nothing wrong with it, so... I'm You're obviously proud of your roots, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, as I said before, I mean, Toxif's got a bad name now, but I mean, because I grew up here, I can see nothing wrong with it. It's one of my all houses here, that, that grey thing there. That big white pipe went there when, that went there when I was living there, that big white pipe. 
Hi, June, right? Was she around when you were... Let's go yeah, around here. I used to cross her over. Did you? I was a good lad, though. I was a good lad. Yeah, it goes on a bit like that. But what you were saying was... Uh, this. You, you wrote about it and you said... Well, maybe Dave Maddock wrote about it, but you, it was published. And you said, I got really... I used to get really annoyed by people talking about Toxted as though it was this terrible place. The implication being that it was some kind of a miracle that I clawed my way out of there. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, Toxted is probably more famous than the riots. The riots were in 1981. I was six years old at the time. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't have a clue about them other than I woke up one morning and we had this big massive telly. <laughs> I'm actually serious as well, by the way. Uh, and, and look, yeah, like anywhere, you know, it was a little bit of a, a rundown place, um, but it's where I'm from. And, and you know what? I, I think that's probably what made me the player. You know, where I lived there, I mean, just across, uh, across from the house where I lived, there was a big field there. All of a sudden, it became an astroturf, uh, and I, I was just on there every single day. So where I was from actually made me the player I was. So... You know, I will obviously joke about it every now and again, and people will give it stick. But you know, it's where I'm from, and, and you know what? I'm I'm proud of where I'm from. Yeah, I mean, do you know Conor McGregor, the the fighter? The, um... uh, you winding me up? <laughs> just, just you, you might you might follow. You know, you probably do follow. Are I you guess. actually serious? Then, aren't you? I, I guess. I guess you probably. He's probably the biggest thing on the planet at the minute. Isn't he? <laughs> okay, well, it's good. I did, did you read the, the ESPN uh, no. magazine article about him? There was, there was this big article. Did anyone here read it, the Roy Thompson article? Yeah. Um, so Well done for surviving your entire lives in Dublin <laughs> up until this point. Yeah. So, so Roy Thompson, this, uh, this big American sports writer, went to Crumlin, where Conor McGregor's from in Dublin, and, and wrote this story about how it was like, you know... <laughs> no, but he, he made it out to be, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty dark, pretty rough place. And, uh, you know, McGregor... And is it? Uh, not really, no. I mean, it's just it's kind of a normal place. Like, but I just, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I kind of felt this sort of perception that seemed to follow you around. Like, say, Pete, say the press in England would call you the Toxic Terror, which you said pissed you off. Yeah, because I preferred God, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's probably a bit far fetched, isn't it? I think, you know, I, I think what does piss me off is. When you ever see magazines or you know articles in paper, and it always says where are you born, and it always says Toxteth, and then it'll say someone else born in Liverpool, and I mean I used to wind me up because I mean Toxteth is is literally, it's, I think it's half a mile from the city centre. So I used to think, well, why aren't I from Liverpool, and you know why don't people associate me from Liverpool as opposed to Toxteth, where if you're born you know two or three miles away from the city centre, that it's still classed as Liverpool. That used to wind me up. <laughs> it's a bit pointless, but but that, it was just one of them things. Yeah, you know, it is. Um, I think it just probably because it it rhymed, didn't it? That was that was the only reason. No, no other reason. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's uh, caused problems for you in your career? Do you think it sort of caused a perception problem around you? Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, everyone will tell you. I think you, you probably cause your own problems. Uh, you know, we're not playing and. And it was interesting before about, you know, one of the, a few of the lads were saying about, you know, if you're, if you're not playing for your club, then, you know, it happens all the time. Players can force a move. Uh, players will speak to, you know, members of the press and, you know, get stories out there. Um, 
I think you cause your own problems. It's not because you where you're from or you know you know the type of character where you were where you were brought up. You know maybe sort of um, you know helping that, but I don't think it's because of where you're from. Were you now that you talk about transfers? Were you approached, or was there ever any interest in any of the big European clubs, particularly in those sort of in, in the mid nineties? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, and fully know I played um, I played golf in the summer um, about probably six weeks ago actually, and I played in a, in a tournament in the Belfry. And I played with uh, in a, a rest of the world against um, against England, and I was up against um, Guardiola, and I was walking past him in the corridor, uh, and he turned round to me and he said, um, he said, why didn't you sign for Barcelona when you had a chance? I just said I didn't I didn't know they were interested. He went, yeah. <laughs> and he just turned round. He went, yeah. He said we we tried to sign you when Cruyff was the manager, so I just had a little think of it, a little think about it. Uh, that was one incident. Um, I think Real Madrid came in for me uh, when I was younger. But for me, I was I was playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world at the time. Uh, still the biggest club. Uh, I was comfortable playing in the Premier League. I was comfortable, you know, being at home. I felt I'm a Barcelona, Robbie. Come on. No, but I, I felt I, I didn't need to go. You know, for me, Liverpool was you know the, the biggest club in the world. I didn't need to go anywhere else. I, I was more than happy. I obviously. Later on, I was you know, gutted when I had to leave, but um, certainly when I was younger, you know, it, it was for me, for me, it was the best place. Well, we were looking through that video that we saw earlier on. We came across another revealing little snippet that we're going to play for you. Oh, a real, it was a real come and get me plea from England's young top striker to the top bigwigs at the FAI. Believe it or not, I mean, I've grew up. Sort of, I mean, I mean, if you get a few sort of people wanting to play for Ireland because they've got Irish grandparents, I mean, I'm English through and through. I don't. I've, Probably I've got a bit of Irish in me or whatever because everyone seems to have on that. But I mean, I've always wanted to play for England. A full stop. So there's a chance that Jack Charlton's successor, if he was quick, he could get in there. I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've played for um, England under under 18s, under 21s, England B, and, like, and I want a full cap now. So yeah, well, we had some good strikers ourselves back then, Robbie. We're, we're, we're all right. You know, you know, on my defence, right? I'm, I am probably more Irish than Macatier. I really am. <laughs> And, and in all says, whenever I went away with England, I mean, because they were the ultimate professionals uh, within England, and you, you were meant to eat, sleep, talk football. You know, after training, you would go to your room, um, you know, and, and get ready for the next training session or get ready for the game. Uh, and I used to, I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it, it was boring playing for England. And, and hey. <laughs> And, um, I mean, I used to come home from being away with England um, and then sit in my, uh, my place in the dressing room. And then, obviously, Jason, Phil Bab and a few of the other Irish lads would come in with the party hats on. <laughs> and, and it was then that I actually wished I was Irish. <laughs> if, you, if you played for Ireland, you would have ended up with 100 caps, you know, 70 international goals uh, and played it, it, in a no, couple it's, it's of tournaments. It's funny you say that, actually, because when I... Um, I made my debut in 93, and I got my first England cap in 96. I'd scored almost 100 goals for Liverpool before I got my first cap. I think if you're, if you're English and play 10 Premier League games now, I think you're guaranteed a cap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that as well. You were the first, uh, first teenage football millionaire, I think, uh, back, in the, back in the 90s. In later years, Man City fans sang to you, we all, ha- we all live in a Robbie Fowler house. Um, so you've, you've done okay, as, you know, as the phrase goes, but you've talked before about how money was always secondary as a motivation. I think that's pretty clear enough when you talk about Liverpool. What do you make of players 
who it seems put money as a number one priority. And I'll put Neymar into that bracket for the sake of it. Yeah, look, I think nowadays, figure. I think, yeah, I mean, the, one of the questions is, are, are players worth the money? And the, the fact of the matter is, they are, because the clubs are willing to pay for it. You know, if they're not, then, you know, they're not worth it. When I, when I grew up, you know, I always wanted to be a footballer. You know, I love football, still do. You know, I still talk about it all the time. Um, and people said to me when I was growing up, what do you want to be? And I always said, I want to be a footballer. They asked me why. And I said, because I love the game. I think if you sit down and talk to any kid now, you know, coming through the ranks, you know, and ask them, what do you want to be when they're growing up? I want to be a footballer. And their answers are always different. They'll always say, well, you get loads of money. And for me, that is the wrong reason to play football. I played it because I loved it, you know, and, and hopefully that showed with the way I played. Um, I think some people are in it for the, for the wrong reason. But look, that's, you know, each individual is different. Um, you know, I can't obviously legislate for, for anyone else. I played because I loved it, but, you know, it's the, the money in the game now is frightening. When you look at, say, Neymar, though, I know you don't know exactly what's going on in his head, but do you buy this argument that he puts out that he wants a new challenge and that's what he's going to face and he <laughs> wants to be the, the main man? <laughs> I, I, ta- <laughs> I take you down. You actually said that with a straight face there, didn't you? <laughs> uh, and look, there's not a chance, there's not a chance he means that. You know, he has gone for the money. You know, I, I could sit here, you know, all day and... and and speak to why why you go to PSG, and it's certainly not to do with winning trophies. Yeah. When you're getting five hundred grand a week, you're not really bothered what you're winning, are you? Say say though, one of the one of the sort of justifications for for that move because he has he has gone down a level. Obviously, I mean, he's playing in France. It's not as high as not a high, as high a level of football as Spain. Um, but one of the justifications is well, you know, uh, he's playing for Barcelona. Lionel Messi's the main man of Barcelona. Uh, if he goes to Paris, he can be, you know, the main man. The man the team is built around. Like as though this was a completely normal motivation. Like it was obvious that anybody yeah. would feel that way. Do you think that's the, do, was that the way you felt as a player? I, everything must be built around me. I am the main man. And if anyone else is, you know, if I play with Lionel Messi, then I don't like that because he's too good and I want to get away from him. No, look, I think that there has been incidents in the past where teams have been built around certain players. I don't think I've ever gone through my career um, played for any club where a team has been built around me. I don't think I don't think so anyway. Um, to your annoyance or no, no, it, it didn't bother me. You know, I, I wanted to play football. You know, didn't didn't care where I played. I just wanted to play. Um, so if you had a brilliant teammate, would you have thought, would you have thought that was a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, no, for me it was it's brilliant. And, and to be honest, I played with Liverpool with some brilliant players. So you know, for me it was, it was what I wanted to do because I think as a player, when you're playing with brilliant players, I think that makes you a better player. You know, if you're a, a big fish in a in a small you know a small pool, then you know I think uh, all right, you you might stand out, but you know for me it's it's not all about that. You know, it is all about you know how good the team is, uh, and if you've got one you know good player out of eleven. You know, that's good, but you know, I'd prefer to have you know five or six you know top quality players as opposed to just a one. It's interesting that you say that you, d- you didn't play in a team that was built around you, but you were in a team where the supporters called you God. Like it's a, you know, in in the eyes of the supporters, you were the the best player in the team. No, I didn't think I was. I mean, I get asked, I, I get asked quite a lot about um, about who the best player I've ever played with, and I. I think legend now is probably used far too much in football. I mean, I came into, into the Liverpool side with proper legends. You know, the likes of Ian Rush, John Barnes, Jan Morby, Steve Nichol, all these unbelievably top players, won everything in the game. For me, they're legends. 
Uh, and I, I was lucky enough to play with them. And this is why, you know, I do get embarrassed about getting that nickname, God, because if you look at the history of Liverpool, you know, the goals Ian Rush has scored, you know, the, you know, the goals Kenneth Aglisha scored and all these great players. And it's, it's me who gets, like, probably the best nickname. So, you know, it, it's... <laughs> It's, it's actually a massive, massive compliment, uh, you know, and, and I love it, uh, but I don't go around calling myself it much. But what, the, the other thing is say, oh, uh, Neymar goes to Paris, he can win the Ballon d'Or, which is suddenly a thing people are interested in. Uh, I mean, suddenly, I mean, over the last few years, I think when Michael Owen won it, he, he kind of had to be told what it was. Um, but now it's kind of an obsession. You, you hear someone like Paul Pogba saying, well, my ambition is to win the Ballon d'Or. Like, he doesn't say the World Cup, he says the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, Neymar's... Yeah, it, uh, to me, that's selfish, isn't it? You know, I, I would far more, you know, be interested in winning FA Cups, you know, Champions Leagues, you know, Premier Leagues. Um, I, I'd, I'd take team honours over any individual honours every day of the week. You say that as someone who won two PFA Young Player of the Year awards. So how, how did that feel? You know, when, when that happened, was that a big moment for you? Was it, was yeah, it like... Of course, change? yeah, of course. It's nice to be recognised by your peers, but... Probably what you know, cheese me off about that is I should have won a free. Uh, you mean, you mean but, you know, obviously I never made a, a big deal out of it. The, the third year when David Beckham won it, I actually, I, I'd actually um, scored you know, thirty-five or thirty-six goals, so I should have won it that year as well. But that contradicts everything I've just been saying, really. Isn't it? <laughs> but but I wasn't bothered though. <laughs> well, three three young player of the year awards would be a bit like Jamie Carragher's record number of under twenty one caps. Like it's some, you get some records you don't want. But, like. but you know what you what you're saying. It is look. It is, honestly, it is nice to win individual honours, but it's not what the game's about. It is about winning stuff with your team. Uh, and if I'm being totally honest, I actually don't even know where the trophies are, and, and I genuinely mean that. No, I have. Have you not just been listening to the show, Robbie? The Spice Boys tag was mm -hmm. an unfortunate one maybe that stuck in the mid-90s to that Liverpool team. Were you guys doing anything different to what any other team was doing in terms of your image? Why do you think that actually stuck no, no. you? Well, I mean, no. We, obviously, the answer is no, we wasn't doing anything different. I think we, um, we went out and, and at Liverpool, we've got the best bunch of lads that you'll probably ever see. Um, you know, and even to this day, I think uh, what we have... I mean, I've not seen any other club, you know, that has what we've got. You know, we'll still socialise with each other. Um, but we went out when, you know, when we could, uh, certainly in the 90s. You know, we never went out when there was games. Um, we went out when we could. We know that the Man United players, you know, were out and about as well because we used to see them. So, but, I mean, it's just stuck. You know, I think it was, I think maybe a few of the lads were dating a few of the Spice Girls. Um, and it just sort of stuck in... Um, it's just one of them things. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, does it bother me? I, you know, I'm not really care about it, to be honest. It's, it's a name and uh, it just stuck. Someone mentioned it in the press once and it just sort of stuck and it never, ever bothered me. I never, I never, you know, never really listened to it, to be fair. The thing that's kind of funny about it when you look back on it is that all the stuff that, that um, Liverpool players were being criticised for, and I would include things like, say, well, certainly in the in the Liverpool dressing room, you seem to not be impressed by Jason McAteer's head and shoulders ad. Um, and then there was, you know, David James did an Armani shoot, and there was a few kind of things like that, which are all actually the kind of things now which are completely normal for footballers. 
this is just accepted. It's it's not like people would say, oh, this team this team is out of control. Look at all their players are doing ads, you know, shampoo ads and fashion stuff. This is actually just the norm for the game. Uh, no, now. you know what? I, I probably disagree with you actually because I think it's always happened. You know, obviously there wouldn't be as much as what there is now, but players have always done it. I think if you go back as far as Kevin Keegan and and obviously boxing size, you know, with um, with Henry Cooper used to advertise Brute. You know, so it's always happened, and um, it's just nowadays. You know, the the, the sponsors and the uh, you know the public eye is is far more advanced. Is probably the wrong word, but you know, to what it was years ago. I think we we did see it, but because of the you know the social media, because of more channels on the tele- television, you know, people want to see it more. Um, obviously, with Jason, it was. I mean, I think he's got me to thank for that one because uh, I think if you remember the game when uh, I fell over David Seaman. And I actually missed a penalty. Um, so Jason scored is two good games. Oh, sorry, three good things came out of that night. So obviously, I fell over Davis. I got um, a certificate from UEFA for being, you know, a good sportsman. Um, you know, Jason got his first goal, and on the back of his first goal, you know, he got the head and shoulders advert. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, he's got a lot to thank me for actually. And he's a bit tight, and he's always kept his money in his pocket. So I'm still waiting for a bit of a drop in. So you were revered, as we've been talking about, by most supporters and I think by most people who worked at you, with you at the club. There was one man maybe who didn't take to you, Gerard Ullier. Um, well, maybe two men with Phil Thompson in, the, in that management team. What happened? Is it an easy, quick answer? What happened between you and Ullier? Uh, no, it's not a quick answer. I think um, when, I, when he came to Liverpool, um, I was just coming back from a you know, real serious knee injury. So I was probably never his favourite. You know, Michael was there and, and Michael was an excellent player. You know, let's be fair and... Uh, I always thought, you know, I was, you know, I should be playing. Uh, Gerard seen, you know, seen things differently. You know, he played me. He didn't play me as much as what I, you know, I would have wanted. Um, you know, I'm quite proud. And I'm not like one of the uh, the players now who, you know, who like getting the wages and, um, you know, sitting on the behind. Uh, I want to go out there and, and play. I wanted to earn my wages. Uh, and I, I never felt really got the chance under Gerard. He, um, he tried to sell me a few times uh, and he denied it, but I knew for a fact he did because the clubs would contact me. Uh, I had certainly um, Aston Villa you know, contact me when they were good. <laughs> <laughs> Gary McAllister uh, contacted you? Yeah, Gary McAllister, that's another one. So uh, the other one was uh, Chelsea. Uh, I was in sat in my friend's house one night and um, Viali had phoned me uh, and he said, you know, the club's... You know, just uh, agreed a fee. You know, when can we come and talk to you? And I went, well, I'm not interested. I don't want to go. So it became evident that you know he was trying to get me out of the club. Look, I, when I think about it now, you know, I've got no. Pro- at the time, I did, but um, I didn't. Don't have a problem with it now because you know, as a manager, you know, you, you've got your you know your favourite team, or and if you're not in them plans, then you know you, you're going to get rid of players, but. Um, I just didn't want to go, but I felt he was forcing me out of the club. Um, you know, the incident with Gary McAllister was quite funny actually because um, I get to, um, my phone goes and I didn't answer, so you know it was the, uh, the voicemail. So I picked it up and it was you know Gary McAllister, and it went something along the lines of uh, Robbie um, Gary McAllister here. <laughs> it was all right, that wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. He went. Uh, I just spoke to Gerard and he said, uh, "Would you be interested in coming to the club?" And I'm thinking, it's a bit strange, this, isn't it? I'm thinking, I'm already at the club, you know. <laughs> so uh, I phoned Gary McAllister up straight away. I said, uh, have you got something to tell me? And he knew straight away that he'd obviously made a big, massive rig. 
I said, you know, you better tell me. He went, he said, Gerard's asked me to phone Robbie Keane. <laughs> that, was, that was actually, you know, I think two, maybe three years before he actually signed for Liverpool. So he was courting them for a long time. Uh, but uh, look, I, I knew my, my days were numbered. Uh, and I knew when, you know, the next time, you know, a club came in for me, and I, I knew I needed to go. It killed me to leave Liverpool. You know, Liverpool was my club, you know, where I wanted to be. Everything was easy, everything was comfortable. Um, but I wasn't playing, and I hated not playing. Robbie, we've had a huge response since we announced that you're going to be coming on tonight. A lot of fever debate among our listeners, trying to decide what the greatest moment has been of Robbie's career. Eventually, they went for this one. He's had one previous jump in this competition, did 13 metres. He's capable of more. Now he's got to just be stable. Cannot afford to crash. Got to stay on his feet. Oh, he's crashed! He's gone! It's a big crash from Robbie. Oh, I think he's okay. His ski's released. He's up, he's okay. But this is terrible news for Robbie Fowler. Let's see the replay. A round of applause for that. That's a good effort. Right. That was actually a, con a controlled landing. I only saw it in the slow motion. You, your foot came out and you just kind of went over like that. You deliberate. know what, honestly, that was probably one of the best things I've ever done. That. Not the fall, but the actual show. You know, I've, um, it was the jump on Channel 4. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. For those who don't know. yeah, It was... Um, I'd, obviously you can't ski because obviously you're playing football and um, I've got obviously kids who you know who go away with skiing holidays with the school and you know I've always wanted to go but I just couldn't uh, but then you know I got offered to do this uh, this program and I thought well, well why not because I've never been on skiing holiday I can learn it and then I can you know take the family out on skiing holidays and you know enjoy it so um, I enjoyed it because I obviously got paid for it um, <laughs> I also learnt how to ski, so I'd be comfortable now, you know, taking my family. And obviously, the that was the uh, the final, you know, what you so you had to do all obstacles. You know, you learn to ski, and you know, if you if you lose your challenge, yeah, you have to do the jump. Uh, but some of the things I've done, you know, obviously, you know, the downhill skiing, you know, the skeleton, um, it, it was brilliant. I, you know, honestly, I loved it. No, fair play, but. We, well, that does sound like it could have been one of the highlights of your career, but this is the real highlight of Robbie's career. Well, think. one of them. One of them. I've seen you score better goals, but this is beautiful. <laughs> this is this. This is the season when Julio is forcing out. UEFA Cup final. Score is three. Oh, Robbie gets the ball. Oh, four three. So that was going to be the winning goal in the UEFA Cup final until Alves scored a last minute equaliser. Then you ended up winning five four. Anyway, so that was good. Um, but that's I think, an amazing I think you goal. know that that game was probably typical of my Liverpool career. If I'm being honest, I think. I mean, I'll be careful how I say this, but I was probably always the the nearly man, of, uh, if I'm being honest, because, I mean, I could have been the winner. Um, you know, someone scored in the last minute, Jordi Cruyff. Uh, the, the game against Birmingham early in the season, I'd scored a goal. Someone else equalised in the last few minutes. Uh, a few games for England, you know, I was... Well, you won't be... England played Spain in, in Euro 96. You, were meant to you take probably weren't bothered about that, was you? Yeah, no, uh, no, And no. I was down to take the fifth penalty, but David Seaman had saved the penalty, so I missed out on that. And also in uh, 2006 Champions League semi-final, when I went back to Liverpool, I was down to take the fifth penalty, but I wasn't needed again. So I, I think I've always been the, the nearly man, if that, I'm being that, honest. That goal there... The, you, you mentioned Jordi Cruyff scored the equaliser. He was playing for Alaves, and his dad, Johan Cruyff, was trying to sign me. Was well, he tried to sign me years ago, but he was presenting the medals. And, and what did he say to you when he gave you the medal? 
You don't remember? No, I don't. This, this was obviously in the book. I thought it was. I thought it was amazing. See, it was uh, the whole thing had been happening. Had been going on with Charlie You know, this this thing, which evidently the whole world of football was able to see from outside what was actually going on there. And Cruyff said that was a great goal. Don't let him drag you down. You're too good. Oh yeah, I remember now. <laughs> 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 no, I, I do remember actually. Uh, <laughs> well, Robbie, I think you're a little bit more than the nearly man. It was an unbelievable career, and it's been cracking having you on tonight and listening to all of that. Robbie Fowler, everybody! Come on, Robbie. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That's pretty much it from the Sugar Club tonight, folks. Thanks so much to Robbie here, to Shay Gibbon, Niall Quinn, and Jason McIntyre. If you just calm down for one second here, I know you want to get a pint in, but I have to give a huge thank you to Cadbury, who we teamed up with tonight for this event. Uh, they are, as you know by now, except for the heckler over here, official snack partner to the Premier League, and they'll also be sponsoring the Premier League's Golden Boot and Golden Glove Awards. Check out their competitions throughout the season on the Cadbury Ireland Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you a lot for coming along and listening. Thanks very much, Murph, wherever you are, and to everyone else. Thank you, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, all. Thanks, everybody. Good night now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.